Hey y'all, welcome to the Hue. Hue represents true color, and we're here to illuminate the true stories of the inspiring folks we encounter along the way. I'm your host, Jessica, and today's guest is Iris Wang, owner and founder of Brentano. We originally sought to talk about designing textiles while creating a global brand, and while that's something that Iris can speak beautifully on, we find ourselves in COVID. So the conversation took a little bit of a shift, and we started talking about finding direction in a world of uncertainty. That's what we're in right now. We're in a world of uncertainty, but there are reoccurring themes. There's been downturns in the economy before, and Iris has seen that and lived it, and she had some great perspective on how to stay with what's in front of you, to be present, and to keep moving forward. So during our interview with Iris, she mentioned the poem that is part of her philosophy, and she ended up emailing it to me after the podcast, so I'd just love to share it with you guys. It's beautiful. I've come to accept the feeling of not knowing where I'm going, and I've trained myself to love it, because it is only when we are suspended in midair with no landing in sight that we force our wings to unravel and, alas, begin our flight. And as we fly, we still may not know where we are going to, but the miracle is in the unfolding of wings. You may not know where you're going, but you know that as long as you spread your wings, the wind will carry you. This poem is by Joy Bell, and we will have it up on the website. Hello. Iris. Hi. How are you? Hey, Jessica. It's good to talk to you. Same here. Our design studio are listening in also. That's fabulous. We have the whole design studio. Yeah, they're a great supporter of me, I suppose. Hi, everybody. Hi there. Hi. I'm so glad you're all here. Who all's with us? Uh, we have um, Ashley, we have Ellen, and we have an intern, and then Lon Chen here, too. So we're all here. Wow, this is exciting. I'm so glad we have the whole team. And I have Emily. I'm really happy to talk to you guys. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. So we're, we're going to start with, um, if it's okay, Iris, we're going to start with you and talk about, you know, the beginning of Iris. And I like, I think it's important when we talk about these creative journeys to learn about where it all started. So I love to hear, when, when did you first know that you had this creative side to you? If you're talking about just painting, creativity doesn't have to be like a painting. No, it doesn't. Any form of art. But if you're only talking about painting, I kind of started to doodle when I was eight years old, maybe, um, and just loved did a lot, a lot, a lot of drawing. And that's when, I don't know if I, I know I have it or not, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I drew all over my uh, my textbook, never clean textbook. So um, I still doodle nowadays when I'm on the phone. And actually, perspective is from my doodle pattern. We have a doodle collection. <laughs> I know we do. I love the doodle collection. Right. <laughs> Squiggle. Um, yeah, so for painting, strictly painting, to make the story short, yeah, it's it's about that age. But creativity, I think, is really a, a bigger scope than just the painting. I agree with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and you've had many ways that you've expressed that creativity. Creativity, um, to me, is you really are not interested in, I guess, following. Like, in, in a bad way, you're a little, uh, what is the word? Rebellious. <laughs> 
But I, I tell you, I had a very obedient teenager. But I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I only remember one incident that my mom was cha- uh, like uh, correcting my manner in my chopstick manner, and I got upset and put down the chopstick. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember. I was rebellious, but um, such a good kid. Not, a, and I'm not surprised. But I, I somehow never is interested in going with a group, like when people are all doing something, somehow I have this mentality like, I, I, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. So to be able to see things differently, um, that really, um, I guess, is where the you, you need to have that. To, if, if you're always interested in what everybody else is doing, <laughs> I don't know where the creativity can come from. Absolutely. Please don't like to follow whatever is in vogue. Um, even for clothing, I was always looking for something when it's not in the right <laughs> right fashion time. Somebody wearing a mini skirt, I was looking for a long, long like a, a skirt. <laughs> and I always was hoping that our hat fashion would come back and a big, uh, what is that, a 360-degree skirt style will come back. But they don't seem like coming back anyway. <laughs> so these are mm-hmm. things. I always look for things that... Um, that it's not involved. Absolutely. Looking at it a little bit differently. Right. Yeah. So you go to school where? Where do you study art? Remind me, because I know we've talked about this before. National Taiwan Normal University. Okay. Um, that was considered the best school. Um, in those days, uh, I don't know if you know the politics. Uh, in that, so the, the Kuomintang was retreated to Taiwan, and they need to cultivate a lot of art teacher. Okay. That's where the normal comes from, normal university. It's a, it's a school to cultivate um, our teacher, but then a lot of people come out and just not be a teacher doing something else, like me. <laughs> Interesting. And so that's where the word normal came from. It came from. Mm-hmm. And then when did you move to the U.S.? Um, I actually, we have an obligation. The school is actually free to wow. actually pay, even give you money. Uh, so you're obligated to teach five years. I taught two years, and I I wanted to, like, see the world, I guess, to see what else is out there. So I decided to come to, you know, in, 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 in the days that I think I came to the U.S. in 1978, okay. um, U.S. is actually more of an art center than, than Paris at that time. Wow. And, but I I didn't want to go immediately to New York because I figured I'd the most I can handle the New York English, <laughs> you know, because I need to go to a, like a rural place so I, people are slower and they can have a more patience when I don't speak perfectly fluent. And that's when I picked a, a school right in the Midwest. It's the Kent State University, Kent, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and and my, my first year, I actually, um, my first year was like a lot of time staying in library, uh, library to practice English, like I have an art textbook, and you see this whole page, it's all my little notes on the vocabulary that I have to know before. I- yeah. I had a tough time. Yeah, that's a lot. Absolutely. You've got to express yourself creatively and then figure out a way to express that in a new language. It's incredible, actually. Mm-hmm. 
And you caught on pretty quickly, though, Iris. So let's be real, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, I spend a lot of time studying English. I, some people say my English is good, but I, I do spend a lot of time studying. Yeah. I don't think it's good. I still have to have some native speaker to check my grammar when I do a formal uh, letter. Yes. And, you know, languages take time. You have to memorize them. Yeah, they do. They do take time. So after Kansas, so somehow you've become a Midwestern person. Like, so then when, when did you make your way to Chicago? Well, I followed my husband. My third year in graduate school, I got married. Okay. A partner now in business. Yeah, master degree and then applied for another uh, master in Chicago following a, uh, a professor that is in his field that is well known. So he came to Chicago. And then after I get married, I moved in with him. So we separate as soon as we got married, we separated for a whole year. Wow. My degree. And then went to join him. Um, so I'm, I'm, I know what is your next question, but I, that's, that's how I got end up in Chicago. And you never left. Yeah. And you, you managed to live in the super coldest city in the whole country. <laughs> I, I come from a cold country. I, okay. I, Korea, actually, not in uh, Taiwan. Okay. Due to the cold, although I'm always afraid of cold, but I never thought about Chicago's cold and all that. I just needed to go there because my husband is there. <laughs> and it's a wonderful city. And what, but what was your first job in, in Chicago? So funny thing, I, you know, I studied fine arts, so I don't know, I don't have any skills. So I, <laughs> when I was doing, uh, Doing printmaking because I did uh, quite do some printmaking. You know, we we had to go doing the silk screening. You have to go to the dark room and you know do. In those days, they called it a photo stat. And I know a little bit about dark room. And there was an ad about print shop. So I worked in a dark room. <laughs> doing wow! But I was really bad at it. I think I got fired. <laughs> You got fired. That's, no, that's good to hear. I think, you know, these are the, these is, this is real life. And I think when we have these conversations that it's so, you know, to think like, oh, Iris, she owns this amazing, you know, textile empire and, and like that you, that you were fired from your first job. That's awesome. You know, and then these are the things that lead us on our journey. So I love that. Right. So you start though, you know, at some point you're, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to skip anything important, so don't let me do that. But you're, you sort of start designing textiles from your dining room table. Is that right? Is that sort of? Yeah, that's like afterwards. After uh-huh. I've done some other things, and then, and then I end up, um, I, I met an uh, interior designer who designed almost only restaurant. Uh, we became very good friends. And at that time, I was doing like uh, interior decoration, flowers, or uh, or um, like a picture hanging all the accessories and all that for him. Um, and then he really liked the way I worked, and we kind of, we kind of became a partner. And then I would do. Um, I'm not always a self learner, even in the textile. So I learned all the interior design things, and then I was starting to specify fabric. And because this restaurant, we used almost strictly COM. Oh. He's got a lot, a lot, a lot of business. He's probably almost, he's a Greek and he almost designed all the Greek restaurants in Chicago. And we wow. specified so much fabric, like tons of fabric. And I was like, hmm, this could be a business that I could be in. And my partner was actually in his very senior age when he met me. 
So I would either buy him out in for business or I would do my own. So I decided to be on my own and do textile because I feel like it's more closer to my trade uh, because I'm a, a painter. It's more of a two-dimensional uh, type of art uh, instead of like a furniture would be three-dimensional. So I um, I decided to, to do uh, textile and because we just did so many CLM. Because if you do business, you are thinking of money, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, that's smart. You were thinking. Yeah, I, I expect so much. We just did so much uh, COM. So from the very beginning, thinking like a businesswoman. I love it. So you really have that. I love that you have that, both sides of that. Um, not everyone does. That's hard. And so one of the stories I remember, Iris, and I hope you'll tell it, when I first met you, I loved it because you called me. And I, I, I was I'd just gone to work for Dongi and you just call me and we're talking and you go, let's FaceTime. And I was like, okay. So we FaceTime and, and then we're talking and I ask you, you know, about Brentano and I think I even asked you, where did the name come from? And I love that story. Do you mind sharing it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I kind of know that the, the name is important. Yeah. But I just kind of decided to set up the business. So I need to quickly think of a name. Yeah. Search for an idea, and I was driving by. In those days, it's 1988, I think it's the day, I think the year we registered, 88, 89, and 90, right? So we have our first product in 1990, but we registered in 1988. Okay. Uh, so in those days, there's a bookstore called the Crocs in Brontano. I think some New York people, you know, in my age probably know there's a store like that, and I just love the way a Brentano with a nice B and then a nice O in the back. I just took it. Because, <laughs> you know, my last name is Wang, and uh-huh. you know, the Wang computer is still very big. And, and people would mm. like, associate with me, like Wang, something would be more like a computer. Because some people ask me, are you related to Wang computer? <laughs> and then now people ask me, are you Mrs. Brentano? So I'm neither. <laughs> but uh, you know I actually like the graphic of it you know you can you see we were just talking about uh, a logo so our logo is a B I like the B I like the O um, and we just took the name and also I think it sounds very Italian and the Italians are known for the design I guess all of these I just kind of decided to take it yeah, I like it. But also, um, you were think to me. I'm hearing as well that you were thinking about even the design of the name and the aesthetics of the typography, and that's pretty cool too. You know, yeah. So Brentano, tell us about the early years. 1990, you release your first textile, and like everybody's buying it, right? <laughs> no, no. Not like like I you mentioned that first two years, I registered, and then I was starting to draw in my own kitchen. Um, we we were just kind of I don't know if we're discontinuing or not. In 1993, we brought up Maple Fall, and that was I was uh, telling the story. People, I mean, that's the pattern put us in black. But that was literally I was sitting in my kitchen window, looking outside and drawing this maple leaf. Um, and then it was like a little too gaudy, so I needed something to tone it down. So I brought down my one day I, I have my bamboo shade down, and I saw this horizontal line, and I kind of uh, toned it down. Uh, so those are the days I drew in the house, and I we didn't even have a uh, like an office office officially. So in 1990, 
We rented a small space. And I tell you, uh, our first year, our, our, you know, those memo cards, those cards are handmade, handmade, and we hand typed them. <laughs> hand typed. The hand typed text. And then if somebody calls us for a sample, we'll be so happy people want a sample from us. And then I will be the customer service, and then I, my husband will also be the cleaning the bathroom. He will be the fabric cutter, sample cutter. We just did everything, <laughs> you and I. <laughs> I love it. It's a family affair. Yeah, I loved it when phone rang because you just need activity. And we, we, uh, we had only one person we were looking at to, to be our rep because I – Honestly, now I think of it, I'm so bold. I know nothing about the business. I don't even know what a wrap is, and I need to go out to get a wrap. And somebody told me, I, I think it's a mill when I went to mill to get products. So you need to get a wrap. I mean, you know, I don't even know how to sell my stuff. That's how green I was, honestly. And I, now I think of it, I, I just really am so bold. I love that bolt. And so what would you say, like, here's a quick diversion, but it, it's almost like that's a tip in itself. If we're talking to other creatives and other creatives are listening to this and they want to follow in your footsteps or similar footsteps, is it along with just being bold? Like what else is there to this, to this path? Tenacity is one thing. Uh, when yeah. we got in and we found out we're, what we see is only a tip of our earth iceberg. I asked my husband, do we go on or do we just quit? And we both decided to go on. I love it. Yeah, so it's like if you stay on the same direction, you can't get your goal right away. But if you stay on, and if you have a certain amount of smartness and diligence and all that, if you have all that, you'll, you'll get there. But depending on what is your expectancy, some people, what you consider success. Right. For me, the most important is a great balance of the money and family and your peaceful mind and you get to do beautiful work, all these, if you get a perfect balance, to me, is a success. It's not necessary you make the most of money. You know, if I just have a friend who imports uh, uh, handbags to J. Crew and all that, and she's got a million dollars. Outstanding, not collectible. I say, well, you do big business and you got a bigger debt, you know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. so it's important to find a balance and, and kind of really know where you are every step. And that's, that's for me, a success. So how do you, I love this, I love this piece you just kind of threw in. It feels big to me, is a peaceful mind. So how do you, how do you keep a peaceful mind? That sounds like a, <laughs> I just know it takes a lot of practice, but what do you do? This is a part of my miraculous philosophy, if you want to hear. Yes, want to hear. Most of the times, people will give you two things in business. Number one, you have to have a plan and a goal. Okay. Number two, you have to have a high expectation. And I defy both of them. I negate both of them. Okay. Most important thing is when you have expectation and a goal, you get very upset when you don't get your expectation and you don't get your goal. And then that upsetness could make lose your peaceful mind and then make you not productive. Anti-productive. So my my way of doing things is I would keep working, keep going towards that goal, but I don't have a very specific. Don't don't take me wrong. I do have a business plan, and I do know where I want. But you have to be very very 
flexible on what's going on and all that, and then do it accordingly. Otherwise, you know, you want to end a million dollars this year, you don't get it, and then you have planned everything, your expense and everything for the a million dollar increase, you don't get it, you get into trouble. So all the time, you do the best you can, but don't have an expectation. That's how I survive mentally, peacefulness. I love that. So being very, it's almost like if I were to give it a metaphor, it's like you're kind of riding a wave, if you will. You know, you're, you're... Don't get me wrong. I do have expectations. I had expectations with my staff and all that. But then at the meantime, so this is kind of a, I don't know if you call it, it's, this is called emptiness, uh, emptiness philosophy. It's actually a philosophy that they, they teach in, um, I, I met a, a professor who teaches in uh, Harvard University, and they, it's, it's actually coming from Buddhism, but they actually take it as a philosophy and teach it in, um, he's a Geshe, Geshe means a PhD in, in Tibet. Okay. And they, they actually have a, uh, have a philosophy class called emptiness, that you don't have a standard. Once you have a standard, you're rigid. I see. Very, very scary thought. When you don't have a standard, you feel like you're totally lost. And there's a great poem talk about this, that all you have to do is keep your wing open. And you, as long as you keep your wing open, you're flying on the air. You don't have a specific goal, but as long as you keep your wing open, you're flying. It's important to fly. <laughs> it is important to fly. <laughs> Can you sit there and worry about if my goal is there and all that, and, and then... Um, trying to make the goal and sacrifice a lot of things that you shouldn't be sacrificing. So it's important to be flying. But the goal where you're getting there uh, should not be more than the fact that you are flying, if you're supposed to fly. That's really powerful information. And you said something about a poem that represents this. Are you, are you going to share it with us so we can post it online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually even translate that into Chinese. And I got a star my translation too. So I'm a a Chinese literature major. Wow. Okay. Perfect. I love that. That's, that's like the best, best tip ever, especially for creatives. The Hue is brought to you by Folio. Located in the iconic Meadows building in Dallas, Texas, Folio is a boutique rep agency, which seeks to connect interior designers with creative resources. We would love to connect with you in real life. Please visit our website to set up an appointment, folioco.com, and follow us on Instagram at folioco. But it isn't always easy. And even though you're flying and you're moving towards your goals, how whatever, and they may be changing and you're managing your expectations, challenges come. And I think it's always helpful. I love hearing from people who've, you know, and from however we may see them have have reached some amazing goals and they're I love hearing about the challenges that they come, they come across and how they handle those and work through those. And is there any one in particular that stands out to you that was really pivotal in your career? Through my business career, um, I learned that because I started very small, just me and my husband. And then I, I went to do sales managing before I can afford to hire someone to sales manage. And, and before I know, I, I start to have staff. And then I found out that it's not that how to work for someone, it's how to become a boss is harder and more challenge than to work for someone. Yeah. So how to, how to uh, nurture your um, staff and 
really uh, make sure that they are worth the work for you and not to intimidate them. <laughs> Sometimes I, I guess because I have a high standard or something, some people say I, I intimidate them. <laughs> I hope not, but I, there's some, somewhere I have to work on myself that why I intimidate people. Um, I keep asking my new staff, do I, I ask them once in a while, do I intimidate you? Anyway, um, <laughs> so that's the part I'm still feeling the challenge that I need to make people feel. In Chinese, they call it rumu as if you're bathing in a spring wind. That's how nice you are. I guess I haven't been able to do that. <laughs> I need to work on that. Wow. Bathing in a spring wind. I love it. Well, that's a good one, though. And sometimes the challenges are perennial. You know, they're, they're the ones that keep coming and we are always working with, you know? Yeah. Well, it's healthy when you know a lot of language, then you can pull a lot of nice words from different things. Anyway, um, so I think that's a challenge that because I need to work with people, you know, I can't do them all. You know, we have 40, almost 40 staff. So I need to make sure that I know how, where their talents are and how to really make them develop. And then at the meantime, they're disciplined that they know they have a job and all that. Um, so th- that's actually my big challenge for the longest time. Uh, sometimes I would look at things in my angle and I end up that I have a totally different personality and how I can understand them and make them still feel good and comfortable. This will be my lifelong um I even feel like I just discovered something new about my husband. So, you know, I've been living with him more than 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something that I have to, that's my challenge, honestly. And that's, that is the, one of the hardest things I think in business. My father was an entrepreneur and I, I know he would, it, it is, it's managing people and working with people and inspiring them and leading them. And mm-hmm. it's really hard work. And you have 40, a staff of 40. Did you ever think you'd have a staff of 40? It's a big team, Iris. No, oh, I that that was the one thing I was gonna give you. I was gonna wait for you to ask me what advice I would give on a on a tough time or when you are challenged. Yes, I usually, like I said, I don't have a goal, and if there's a problem comes in, I don't sit there and worry about it. I just look at what I need to do. I focus on what I have. I call it a present moment. To worry about it is not gonna do anything for you. It's not gonna do anything for you. I say three times, and just do what you need to do. Okay. So how are you working with the challenges of COVID? That's the thing. I mean, we, we, I work with my sales team and see how we can get samples to our client. Mm-hmm. The client is tired of uh, Zoom meeting, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I actually didn't come up with that idea, but I, I encourage my team to think of a strategy and all that because I, I don't do the day-to-day. I mean, my Sales rep uh, managers have been so nice and say, "Oh, we don't want you to worry." I said, "Don't, don't treat me like a mom. If you have trouble, let me know." Anyway, I <laughs> think <laughs> I have a cancer. I want to know. Don't tell me like, "Oh, you're fine." I feel I'm dying. You know. Right? But anyway, so <laughs> they all get together and figure out a way, and I think it's a really good way. We're actually sending samples, small samples to clients and all that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so I so for sales we do that, and then for design staff we have more time to um, look at things more carefully, and we clean up our studio. Our studio is the cleanest, and just do things in in front of us, um, and not to worry about. And then we we do like a plan A, plan B, a lot of contingencies, so we stay flexible. Um, but instead of sitting there, because when you are worried, you're 
not functioning. You sit there and you're depressed and you're, you're not productive. So most of the times our company grow when we have a recession. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. For you to cultivate your next growth. When, when this thing came and I think the whole like sales team was like so nervous and had a meeting and me and my husband said, huh, we're going through survive, we survived the main crisis. And so like another one, so big deal. So then I think it made them kind of settle down and peace of, I, I think Paul just said that the other day when they, she heard that she felt like, oh, okay. And I've heard that time and time again from so many leaders. And um, like I said, growing up an entrepreneurial family, and I know that it was the hard times that we grew the most. And that's, you're right. You can, you have more time to look at what's in front of you. And, and I think what you said though is, is really powerful about, about worry. You know, it's so easy to bask in worry and to dwell on it. And, and I think that the mantra that you said is important, you know, just saying to ourselves, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And letting it, you know, saying it, if you have to say it a few times and then moving on and finding something that you can work on and do, that's just really practical wisdom. And, you know, we could all use a little practical wisdom. Yeah, I think like my son, Alan, he heard me saying crisis is opportunity. He really got inspired and I think made him feel really uh, like optimistic also. Um, so to me, don't worry, don't worry is a sort of a tell you what not to do. I prefer to say present moment, present moment, present moment. Just deal with what you have done. So not to do, you need to tell yourself what to do. If you don't worry, then you've got nothing to do. What, then what else? You know, it's the present moment. Do what you do, what you're supposed to do. So if you don't have anything to do, get up and clean and organize your computer or do something. Um, so that, number one, it'll get your mind off the worry. And number two is that then you're being productive. I mean, my my office is so messy. I'm actually happy that I'm not clean <laughs> <laughs> my office so messy. I know I need to do that too. I don't want to think about that, Iris. Um, so speaking of the design studio, so this design studio is cleanest it's ever been. What's going on in there? Is there anything special brewing as something? Because we were, I was speaking to another creative friend of mine and we said, we can't wait to see all the wild and creative things that come out of this because, you know, there's going to be a lot of reflection. And so is, what's going on in there? Well, we have this huge collection that we are supposed to launch, and we're okay. still planning to launch in the fall instead of August, unless the second wave of uh, coronavirus is so bad, like no, everybody's going to lock down again, things like that. I think we would like to launch. It's an amazing collection. I don't know if I'm allowed to say. You probably know privately what it is. I don't know we're allowed to probably announce. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's a huge, huge collection with a lot of SKU, and we did it this time. Almost every single color worked with. Like we have 17 colors, but they all each has a, a color in each pattern, so they all coordinate. Uh, and we lot. actually worked uh, with a uh, esteemed design firm, a in uh, collaboration. They're like our consulting. Thank you. Consulting. They did consult tremendously on color selection and the, the feeling of the fabric. So they call it a, uh, I love this word, by the way, that's why I keep using it. It's a plain weave, but it has organic because the yarn is like irregular yarn, so it has an organic shape. Um, and that, that's actually her first, most favorite fabric. 
So uh, that's kind of a basic concept and building layers. We have some that's smoother, some thick, and some very thick, and just building many layers instead of pattern pattern. There's one that's very subtle pattern, but that's a huge collection of like some have 13, 14 colors. Wow. Yeah. Um, usually we don't do it that way, but for this collection, that's the, one of the things is color coordinating and almost like spend the whole color spectrum. Yeah. Um, so that's that's coming. It's very minimal, but very organic. So there's something going on, but it's not loud and hits you over the head kind of thing. So, Iris, that's actually a funny question. What about you? Are you minimalist or maximalist or somewhere in between? I'm a two-headed monster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In one side, I'm very minimalist. I, I feel like, just like what I say about human resource with the people. Okay. For a student, I never, I never think that I am good enough. So I feel like I'm not doing minimalist good enough. And I feel like I'm not doing the maximalist good enough either. And I always trying to learn how to perfect it. I've got a, I gained a little confidence recent years that my work with this design firm, uh, their comments and their viewpoint really actually helped me a lot. This particular work, I, I know this idea, but I'd never put them in word, the, the word organic. I think it's kind of an English thing too, that it's my, not my mother tongue. On the maximalist, also, I've, I've always fancied in music, I have, I think, two collections. I use it, like a rhythm collection or things like that. I, I use music as inspiration. I love the orchestra where all kinds of instruments play together, but they play it harmoniously. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the way I wanted to do it, but I don't think I ever came up with something that is completely, completely successful in terms of orchestra. Now, I have a successful one called the um, Equinox. That would be probably a quartet or more than four people, maybe eight people or something like that. But it's not an orchestra. I want something that's a lot more going on, but still really, really beautiful. And Equinox is amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it's still, to me, it's not there yet. Because Equinox still, from the variety, there is a theme, like a, a central theme where you see, and it's also hang into a geometric shape where your eyes have a place to stop. In the Chinese painting uh, theory, there's no uh, perspective point. They have called the moving perspective point. So if you draw a mountain and then a river and all that, a mountain scene, you'll see a small little uh, traveler, you know, riding on a donkey. And then if he's, so, so the whole uh, perspective on this point, the perspective is here, and then when he travels to this part of the mountain, then there's another perspective, so it's a moving perspective. So in China, they don't call it watching a picture. They call it reading a picture because they actually literally travel. So my ideal, I might never be able to do this, is to have this very interesting, because if you read it as Chinese um, sort of a landscape painting. They actually are very unified. They, you don't, they don't look busy. Um, that's something I've tried a few, but I wouldn't say they're successful. And it will be just my fancy. I, I actually, the other day, sitting on my bed, I was doing a sketch. They call it a story. But whether it's going to become a fabric or not, 
because I have to evaluate if they're going to sell or not. It's something yeah. so unique. Um, right now, the things that are selling are minimalist, you know, textures. So we're going to do a lot of this. <laughs> I mean, going to do what sells, Iris. <laughs> yeah, that I do have that part, and I do appreciate when there's a room that is a lot of pattern on pattern. If it's done well, it's harder than it's a lot harder than very, you know, minimalist room. It is. It's so hard to layer. So on this subject of that, this is a great knowledge that you bring to design, even talking about this Chinese landscape pattern and moving perspective point and all of this knowledge that you have. So I'm going to direct this to the design team. What an amazing experience to work with Iris and have you know this expertise at your fingertips. So Ashley, Ellen, Abraham, do you guys want to weigh in on, on what it's like working in the design studio? Hey, hey Jessica, it's Alan. How are you? Hey, Alan. Good to hear from you. Um, you know, for me, well, first of all, uh, working under your mom it has its dynamics. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, but, but overall, it's been very, very pleasant. And even though, you know, I've known her my whole life, I continue to learn a lot of things from her, especially now that I see her daily on a, um, from a work perspective. I've actually only been full-time in the studio since uh, November. So it hasn't been that long for me before I was doing sales and then I was doing merchandising before that. So it's, um, but, you know, working in the studio has opened my eyes quite a bit. You know, I've had, you know, kind of a lifelong experience with textiles, obviously, having grown up um, under both my parents. Um, But I would say one of the biggest things that's been transformational for me is you know, I come up, I come from an artistic background as well, but actually a completely unrelated field. So I have a I have a music background. I went to school for it, um, and you know, I'm starting to discover that the creative process. There's so many parallels for the creative process and the development process between music and uh, textiles or any type of visual art. And just like your mom said, with the orchestra metaphor. So yeah. I mean, I just you know, all the painstaking steps that we take to basically really ensure that we come out with a quality product, um, for me, has mirrored a lot of the steps that I took to ensure that when I have a perform- when I had a performance coming up, all those little details that you have to um, ensure you have down to create a quality performance and make sure that when you do perform, you have, you are clearly stating the ideas and emotions that you want to convey. And I think that now, having seen how the the studio really works and how it operates, I feel that that Iris really ensures that the development of products follows that same parallel path. There's It's a lot of painstaking, really detailed work, but coming out with something that has a huge impact on the market or has a very great story, that much more uh, rewarding, I find. What instruments did you play? I, I played a lot of instruments growing up, actually. I started um, on violin when I was five. Um, I still remember my mom very digitally practicing beside me. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and I kind of blossomed from there. I did a lot. I, I was very musically involved growing up. Um, I played piano as well, when, starting when I was eight. Then I started playing the trumpet when I was um, about 12. And then I also started uh, singing choirs in school when I was in high school. So I did a lot of things, but I eventually went to school for trumpet, and it was a classical trumpet player. I was a trumpet player myself, actually. 
just for a few years, about four years. I loved it though. It was, I think it's such a fun, I played the piano too, but I like the trumpet better. It's such a fun instrument. That's so cool. Well, Helen, thanks for weighing in. That, really appreciate that. And it's good perspective to hear how, you know, you guys work and all the, it's such a family business. And I really do love that that piece of Brentano because you really do feel it and it's fun to be a part of it. And I'm so glad you guys are willing to weigh in. Yes. Ashley. You were just asking in terms of working here and getting to, to, to learn and work under Iris and things like that. So um, this is my first job out of college. And I didn't really know what exactly to expect out of a design firm type of thing. And coming to work at Brentano, it was nice because it's such a small design team here and you, you really get, I really get a lot of, one-on-one time to actually work and learn from Iris and she does have such a breadth of knowledge on both the industry and a lot of the philosophies that she even just shared with you so um it's just been really nice to, to grow um under this type of company and, and learn in this type of way uh where it is very very open to any opinions that you have and um kind of a, a really good introduction into the industry I think. And Ashley, was Dorado your pattern? Or I, I did work a lot on that one, yes. I remember hearing something about that. And that has been really one of the most popular patterns that I show from the Traveler Collection. So congratulations. You guys did it. It's always nice to hear. Okay, I will have uh, Abraham say a few words. Um, working with Iris was really great. Um, she, like she said, she, she's very open and she has a goal, but she's very flexible. Uh, so it's always great. We always take time to investigate different things. Um, sometimes just things will pop up and it's like, well, let's, let's try it. Let's see what we can get out of this. Let's see uh, what can come out of this, even if the initial sample isn't very good. Let's, let's see how maybe if we change this, change that, maybe it'll become a jet. And that's always really great. Where are you in school? I went, I went to school at College for Creative Studies. Okay. Right. Um, for fiber and textile design, and I really want to go out there. I I grew up um, raising sheep and goats, so that's really where I got started. Awesome! Uh, <laughs> hair coming off of uh, my Angora goat. Uh, You've been working with fibers your whole life. That's amazing. It started when I was eight, and then I got the mohair, wanted to run out of spin. One thing just led to another, and and fibers and textiles is literally become my life. Uh, I, I love it, and I'm just intrigued by everything that goes into it. And I think working at Brentano, you know, there's a few of us in the studio, and overall, the whole company is a great great company and great dynamics, but I think the dynamics in the studio is very strong. We each kind of have our, our strengths, um, places that we, we really do good at, and we, we recognize that as with each other, and we really work as a, a really good team under a great leadership of, of Iris. Oh, I love it. So on, on legacy, I do love to end with legacy. What do you see as the legacy of Brentano? A company that is very open-minded, that is willing to try anything, both artistically and technology-wise. Yeah, and you guys do a great job of that, too. Yeah, and that has a very healthy viewpoint of how to bring healthy life to textile to people. Very positive. Positive. I love it. Positive. 
I love it. Okay, so some fun questions. Just three. We have just three. Favorite designer or architect, um, dead or alive? The one that really closes to my heart would be this uh, Japanese um, designer, Ando Daido. Okay, Ando Daido. Yeah, yeah. He did a few. I think he did the art art museum in uh, St. Louis. Uh, His work is a lot of places. Um, he's very zen. His uh, architect is very zen. Um, I also really love uh, the the Mano collection, the Mano Institute. I think designed. Uh, I went to look up their their name. Um, Mark Lee and Sharon Johnston, Johnston Mark Lee Company, and then Frank Gehry. I also like. So 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 so. If you look at this architect, the first two are minimalist, but the Frank Gehry is more like maximalist. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, very orchestra. I love to cook, Iris. I don't know if you know this about me, but it is just, it is my passion and um, it's how I express myself and show love to people that I care about. So I don't, I don't know if you cook. So if you don't cook, you can say your favorite dish, but if you cook, like what's your best dish? What do you like to cook? I'm a very good cook for vegetarian meal, but my favorite one would be the roasted uh, with the lentil beans. Lentil bean salad with olive and, and arugula. That sounds beautiful. I love roasted beets. So, what about your kids? What do they ask for? They like they love meat. So we're not in the, <laughs> we're not in the same boat on that one. There is okay. there's one dish that my mom makes that I really like. It just takes a lot of time, so I didn't make it that much. But it's called gushong. You can kind of explain. It's a dice, a tiny little piece of uh, meat. And then you make it flavor, stir fry it, and then you, instead of ground it, it's, you have to hand size them. And then you use a lettuce, like a leaf of lettuce, and you wrap those little dice of meat. You know, you put like a little tofu in there and also a little green bean in there, and then you wrap it in the iceberg lettuce, and then you eat it. So you have this flavor inside, and then you also have the, the leaf outside. Like a lettuce wrap. So, okay, last question, you guys. COVID's over. It's perfectly safe to travel. Where are you going? Workplace. We uh, hopefully, because uh, we, I was gonna take my whole team to go to Italy to see, to see the uh, the fabric fair um, for our cool. yeah, and then uh, Maison de Auger to or not Maison de Auger, um Salon de Mobile. We were gonna go see Salon. We got airplane ticket all done. Oh, you know, we got disappointed. So I think hopefully next year by spring. Go to Salone. Yeah. So Salon di Salone and then the proposed, they're back to back. So we can go see fabric suppliers too. So. Oh, that sounds perfect. Well, this has been fun, Iris. Thank you. And thank all of you, Abraham and Alan and Ashley. Thank you guys for being a part of it as well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for your invitation. Well, I've, I w- when I decided I, I've always wanted to do a podcast for a long time. My background, Iris, is journalism. I've been writing since I was a little girl, poems and stories and children's books. And um, and so in college, I studied journalism and, and I somehow found my way to sales. And I as I was learning about all my designers and the brands and the vendors and partners that I worked with over the years, I, I just kept loving all the stories. And I I thought, okay, someday I'm going to do a podcast and and share these stories because they're just so good. (laughs) So that's how this came together. That's perfect. That's perfect. Wonderful. 
So, well, you guys take care. Everyone stay healthy. and Yeah. And we'll keep selling Brentano in Texas. We're having um, a lot of fun with the line here. So. Hey. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening, y'all. Let's keep the conversation going. If you have a story you would like for us to illuminate, please email hello at folioco.com. That's hello at p-h-o-l-i-o-c-o dot com. And be sure to subscribe to hear future episodes.